Hey everybody, it is Friday, October 12th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelik, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever, and hey, it's even more fall than it was the past two weeks when I pointed it out, and unsurprisingly, it's been a pretty slow news week uh, as far as many things go. Uh, although we do have a big story to talk about, uh, you know, the apocalypse is coming, and uh, we have a lot of work cut out for us as automobile fans to do our part, potentially, in helping save the Earth. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the car culture section. Uh, car news, we've got some a new Rolls-Royce SUV uh, to talk about. We've got uh, some first drive impressions of a new SUV that's uh, a co-development between uh, Geely, a Chinese car company, and Volvo, one of its subsidiaries, uh, that is potentially going to be on sale here in as short as a year or two. And uh, some interesting fuel economy numbers about a powertrain that I'm very, very interested in. So, We'll cover that. And then a car that's been on my mind, uh, it's less maybe a car specifically, but a, a time frame for two particular brands and a couple of vehicles that I see on the regular that uh, just kind of tickle my mind. So we'll discuss that here at the end of the show as well. Um, but like I say in many other episodes, if you want to listen back on other episodes of the Salvage Title Podcast, you can do so on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, you can dig back in on iTunes, uh, Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the separate app, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Cast, all that. It's all out there. Go dig in. It's free. If you like and hear uh, something good, uh, make sure you give it a rating, share it with your friends and family. Uh, I appreciate any growth that we may or may not have. Uh, so with all that in mind, guys, after the bump, we'll talk about some news. So first up, we're going to talk a little bit about the Rolls-Royce Cullinan, uh, the new full-size SUV from Rolls-Royce and its parent company, BMW. A uh, little bit of history, I guess, of sorts for luxury SUVs, as it were. Um, this idea really kind of kicked off uh, a little more than a decade ago with the Porsche Cayenne. Uh, people were up in arms about the fact that Porsche was going to make a new SUV and slot it into their segment, but they had made the argument that in order to be profitable, in order to continue to fund a racing team, in order to be able to build crazy 911s, they needed to have practical everyday vehicles for more drivers to buy. And as such, the Cayenne came first, and then we have the Panamera family sedan. Now we have the, uh, the what is it, the Taycan? Oh, no, that's the new one. I can never remember the name of the small one, the Macan. There we go. Uh, Porsche really kind of led the way with a lot of things, and as such, uh, Volkswagen Auto Group eventually kicked that chassis off into a bunch of different ways with the Audi Q7 and its various things that came after. Uh, but really, the interesting thing for me when it comes to luxury SUVs is the way that it has begun to proliferate among brands that you never thought would get into the idea of making an SUV. That's uh, Bentley, who recently released the Bentiaga. Uh, they have an SUV that is about a quarter million dollars or more uh, that is considered, at least currently, the fastest SUV on the planet, at least in a straight line, um, with its twin-turbo W12 engine. 
There is, of course, the Lamborghini Urus that is coming out very, very soon, or may already be out now, uh, powered by a ridiculously overdone uh, V8, twin-turbo V8. Uh, Ferrari is apparently coming out with an SUV in the very near future. Whether or not that is based on the Maserati uh, Levante that has been out for a short amount of time uh, remains to be seen. So when Rolls-Royce announced a few years ago that they were going to build an SUV, uh, extreme luxury fans, automaker, I, I don't know what you want to call these people, uh, they were a little upset. Rolls-Royce, of course, is uh, more or less the standard of the world when it comes to high-tier luxury vehicles. And after the, its split with Bentley and the mid-aughts, uh, it's always been a bit of a contest between the two brands of who can do what better. Uh, the Cullinan is, of course, uh, one of the first Rolls-Royce products not to be named after some kind of uh, supernatural element. The Wraith, the Ghost, the um, Phantom, all those different ones. Uh, this one is named after a rock that apparently has been cut up and placed into the Queen's Crown. Uh, the English people know more about this, but uh, yeah, it's got a little bit of a different name, and of course it's got a very large and different appearance. Uh, what is interesting to me, at least, based on the photos that I've seen, is that it does look like a Rolls-Royce Phantom, basically on steroids. It is a much larger, much high-riding Phantom. Uh, as such, the interior dimensions are spacious and very comfortable. Uh, there is a bit of serenity in this vehicle that you even do not get in the Phantom because of the fact that it does ride higher and has a more wide-angle view of things compared to the standard sedan, which of course is already the size of some small crossovers and SUVs. Uh, what powers this big-ass SUV? Well, you've got the corporate 6.5-liter V12, uh, twin-turbocharged, of course, coming from BMW, as well as its own uh, specially built, I believe it's an 8-speed automatic. It does have a pretty capable four-wheel drive system that I believe is based on the system that'll be in the new BMW X8, uh, which shares a platform with this car. And overall, you're just getting a more luxurious SUV. You know, the Bentayaga from Bentley is, of course, slightly more sporty, and that really kind of comes from the history of the Bentley brand, where Bentley was the racing end of the company. Uh, Rolls-Royce was the more luxurious one, even though they often shared engines, transmissions, platforms, etc., etc. Uh, now that the two companies are separate, uh, Volkswagen has honored that history in a much different way, making this well, for a short time, the fastest SUV in the world, uh, and the Rolls-Royce now has the title of being the most luxurious. Uh, as far as like other th notable things about this SUV, well, it's the third of a million dollar price tag on this SUV. Um, I mean, you're going to see a few uh, out there, I'm sure, in cities like New York, uh, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, so on and so forth. Uh, it is a very big SUV. It's going to not fit in many places, but when you have obscene amounts of cash, uh, it makes little sense not to buy one when you want to be seen and understood as a rich, powerful person. Uh, whether or not these people are going to be taking these things off-road, good lord, I hope not, but it sounds like it is a pretty capable system that, uh, much like uh, Land Rover and Range Rover will automatically detect certain uh, surroundings and be able to adapt uh, to what it needs to be doing and not force the driver's hand in doing so. Uh, one other thing that I thought was really interesting, at least based on the Carfection review of this new Rolls-Royce Cullinan, is of course that this vehicle is large in the same way that the uh, Phantom is, uh, but it is 
more drivable. And that is really something kind of strange to think about. Uh, Rolls-Royce has historically always been a chauffeured vehicle, um, and the Phantom was one of the first cars that catered more to people who wanted to buy the car and actually drive it. But that car also was meant to be extremely comfortable and extremely easy to drive, and there are um, just a multitude of different ways that the car was able to be tuned so that you could come to a complete stop very easily, um, you know, almost with no disturbance to the people that are in the back, versus this SUV, which is very large and will be driven probably by specific customers themselves, not to be chauffeured in, and as such, it drives like a very normal car. And, you know, I think that's where we start kind of getting into the weird line of when is it a BMW? When is it not a BMW for Rolls-Royce? I think a lot of people kind of got that way about the Wraith compared to the 7 Series. I think it's kind of going to be the same thing here. So we'll see. You know, I, I would really love to have the opportunity someday to be able to compare the Bentley Bentayaga the Rolls-Royce Cullinan and many others back to back to back. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is this is a vehicle that is far, far, far out of touch for the majority of us out here in the world. And I'm willing to bet to some extent this will be an SUV that is as exclusive uh, to some small extent like a uh, Bugatti Chiron and many other vehicles. It's going to be a rare sight. So if you see them, take pictures, enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> marvel in its size and its weight uh, because it is going to be an unstoppable force, I'm sure, uh, when it comes to sales for Rolls-Royce in the very near future. So if you guys have been out to jalopnik.com over the past few days, you may have seen a headline story about the new uh, Lincoln Co. 01 or Model 1 or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is a new Quasi crossover from Gili is the parent company and their subsidiary Volvo. Uh, this is a new brand that has kind of been born out of the two that is hoping to bridge the gap between European design and engineering and Chinese ingenuity when it comes to marketing, financing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, as they continue to grow both companies in China, in Europe, and here in North America. Uh, Lincoln Co. is kind of building these Volvo-like vehicles that have more of almost like a Tesla or a Porsche-like styling um, with Volvo bits and pieces on the inside at Chinese prices. Uh, the I believe they may have one model on sale in China now. I believe they plan on entering Europe as soon as next year, and then they want to be on sale in the United States in 2020. Uh, what Lincoln Co.'s major hurdles right now, of course, are uh, sourcing uh manufactured pieces for their vehicles, being able to build them fast enough at a scale to meet what they hope is eventual demand, and really limiting choices to consumers so that prices on these vehicles can be very controlled. Uh, by that they mean, you know, you may only have a choice or two on interior color, a choice or two when it comes to the infotainment system, um, maybe just a handful of choices when it comes to body color, and that's it. And they just get kicked out on down the line. Um, just kind of speaking as an aside for a moment, uh, Ford recently got picked apart um, a few years ago for having too many options on too many of their vehicles because you could buy a Ford F-150 in some many thousand different configurations and every configuration adds to the total cost of what it 
is to make one single vehicle. Uh, Lincoln Co. wants to eliminate that. They want to make it as cheap as possible to make this vehicle because it, of course, is using Volvo parts. It is going to use its engineering expertise to do that. It's going to be able to use some manufacturing expertise from China and be able to build these vehicles in different places all around the world. Whether or not that includes the new plant that Volvo is building here in the United States, that well, that remains to be seen, but potentially that new plant might have enough capacity to be able to crank these things out for the American market. Uh, as far as driving is concerned, uh, this thing drives like a Volvo XC40. It shares its platform and powertrain with the new SUV that just released in the U.S. earlier this year. Uh, the XC40 has been lauded for its design and engineering. Uh, by that I mean uh, it has got a lot of space. It rides and handles quite well. It's got a very efficient powertrain. It is for most people, a very special Volvo because it is bridging that gap between the station wagon hatchback style that so many people like and a small SUV trend that, of course, is uh, really taking over the automotive segment as a whole. What is interesting, of course, about the XC40 as it launched in the United States is that they offered the Care by Volvo platform uh, for you to be able to purchase it on. Uh, Care by Volvo is a program in which you pay $600 a month for a base trim uh, XC40 front-wheel drive, and you get included car insurance, all maintenance is covered. If anything happens to your car, you can switch it out, and you can trade in your car every 12 months to get a brand new Volvo if you see fit. Uh, there's no mileage restrictions on that ownership either, which is very interesting. Um, all in all, to some extent, depending on where you live in the country, it may be a very good deal, or it may be a little expensive, but nevertheless, it simplifies the process of buying a new car and owning it. Lincoln Co. wants to do the exact same thing, but at a much cheaper price due to the amount of money that they're saving on the manufacturing cost of these vehicles. And according to the article on Jalopnik, they're targeting a price as low as $400 or $500 a month for the brand new vehicle and insurance, all the included maintenance, all that stuff. And that is... Well, as they say in the article, potentially revolutionary, that you would be able to buy a near or at least a low-level, somewhat luxurious vehicle for that amount of money. You know, I think in terms of myself, I'm paying about 120 dollars somewhere between $100 and $120 a month for my car insurance. I've got a car note of about $150 a month uh, right now for my car. So altogether, let's just round it up to $150 for both. I'm spending $300 a month, and for just a little bit more, I could have a brand new car. And that brand new car could be swapped out every year if there's changes with the uh, infotainment system, or if the fuel economy changes, or if there's some other issue that I have with the shape of the vehicle. I can just swap it out for something else, just like I do with my cell phone or with my iPad or so many other things. And that kind of contributes to a little bit of a question that we'll talk about a little bit later on in this episode uh, when it comes to the environment and many other things. Uh, but uh, wow, that could really change the car market on the whole and really engage millennials, which of course has been a major issue for many automakers, uh, where you know, it's simple to just walk in and buy the car you want and go home and that's it. And you don't have to worry about anything else. It's all handled by the car company and not you. And uh, I'm kind of hoping that Lincoln Co. is successful, um, especially in its home market of China. I'm hoping that it's successful in Europe and I hope that they can get their things together when it launches in the United States in the next couple of years because Care by Volvo at least has had a great number of problems that is launched out nationwide getting into just some quick specifics on that, of course. Uh, 
They've had a lot of problems fulfilling orders on these cars because they can't make enough of them fast enough. Uh, they still have a lot of uh, insurance issues with the way that they're handling it uh, across the country where, you know, here in Michigan, we have a different type of insurance that is mandated by our state versus somebody in Illinois versus somebody in, you know, Alabama or California. Uh, so they're dealing with that and it's causing some hiccups in the process. So hopefully eventually that gets figured out for Lincoln Co. in the next few years. Okay, last bit of news, and it's a little bit more personal for me, potentially, but uh, the new Silverado is out. I've already started seeing the new pickup trucks out there, and Chevrolet, the, at least with the early models, they're all equipped with the 5.3 liter and 6.2 liter V8s. Uh, what is interesting is that they do offer a 4.3 liter V6, at least for now, as the base trim engine, but they will eventually be replacing it with a 2.7 liter twin turbo inline four uh, that made a big splash just a few months ago. And it's something I've talked about on previous episodes of this podcast. That 2.7 liter inline four with its twin turbocharged uh, setup is rated for 310 horsepower and 350 pound feet, pound feet of torque. It is a uh, able to be able to tow, at least in the Silverado, 7,200 pounds, which is commendable performance overall for this vehicle, uh, but it's not ground-shaking overall either. Uh, Chevrolet is doing this basically, one, to save weight, two, to flex its engineering muscles, and three, hopefully, to improve fuel economy compared to the larger V8s. Uh, but when the EPA uh, finally submitted its rating to Chevrolet, things weren't quite as rosy as they seem. Uh, the new truck is rated at 20 miles per gallon in the city, 23 highway, and 21 combined, which is okay. It's an improvement over trucks as of yesteryear, um, but compared to other powertrains offered by Ford and Ram, uh, those engines have Similar, maybe slightly worse fuel economy in the city, uh, but on the highway, they actually exceed it by another two or three points, uh, which is kind of a knock against the Chevy overall. Would I buy this engine inside of a pickup truck? I would, honestly. Um, I think when dri driven correctly, without overburdening it, just tooling around the farm or around town, I think this engine's going to be more than enough for most people. Um, I think it's a very cool uh, engineering exercise. It has got diesel-like performance where a large amount of its power comes from down low in the uh, rev range, which is very cool. Uh, where it gets kind of weird, at least for me, is that I wanted to be able to have this engine equipped in other vehicles. And it does kind of make me wonder now if these EPA numbers aren't quite what GM wanted, will they make an effort to use this in other things? Um, where I'm going with this is, you know, whether or not they use this engine to replace the 3.6 liter V6 in the uh, Colorado and Canyon pickup trucks. Um, it does make a good bit more power than those, and I would imagine the fuel, fuel economy would be much better in those vehicles with this new powertrain. I do wonder if to some extent they could increase the refinement a little bit on this powertrain and eventually slot it into some kind of uh, front engine rear wheel drive family sedan. Uh, I called this out in a previous episode where it would be very German of them to have such a powerful four cylinder powertrain with just diesel like numbers of performance uh, in a comparatively lightweight family sedan. Uh, I think something like the size of a Stinger GT, but it's branded Chevrolet. It's got this powertrain. Man, that'd be cool. I don't know. I'm not satisfied with the fuel economy. I am satisfied with the power output. I am very satisfied with the price savings that you would presumably get by choosing this engine. But uh, 
it remains to be seen, I, I guess. Uh, Ford and Ram have really snuck up on GM as a whole over these past uh, generation or two of pickup trucks, and they're playing catch-up. That's definitely to be said. But at least for me, I think the Silverado is still the best-looking of the three. Performance-wise, it might not be the best, but it's the one I'm going to root for. But I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. If you have any thoughts, feel free to drop me a line here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about the UN climate change announcement that said that we have 12 years to fix our carbon emissions worldwide before we face uh, what many are calling the end of the world as we know it. Um, Carbon emissions are out of control. We are further ahead on the one and a half Celsius temperature increase than what we thought we were going to be. Um, And if we don't fix our things by the end of the 2020s, uh, we are potentially going to face an uninhabitable or largely inhabitable planet by the end of this century. A big part of that is, of course, carbon emissions, and that comes from unregulated shipping vessels who travel across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, It comes from the growth of uh, farm animals as uh, the middle class continues to grow and demand red meat in many of their meals. It comes from the cars and trucks that we buy in every corner of this planet. And uh, it's been interesting in light of that news, seeing the growth and the unexpected sales of green cars lately. Um, I know that I've talked a little bit about Tesla and how they were racing the clock to get cars out into the hands of people before their federal tax credits expire. Uh, But earlier today, it was announced that people have until the end of October to order their new vehicle. Otherwise, they will not get the tax credit on their vehicle. Uh, That is fantastic news that Tesla has been able to achieve that goal in not quite a decade of manufacturing and selling of their vehicles, uh, and that there has been that much demand for their cars uh, to continue to grow the brand and get it to the point where they don't qualify for that tax credit anymore. It took Toyota forever to hit that mark on the Prius, uh, especially while fuel was cheap. Uh, But once fuel got expensive and Tesla continued to grow and people experienced these wonderful vehicles, It's clear that the tide is starting to turn in that regard. And I've already talked about how the luxury automakers are going to start getting into EVs uh, as a major uh, powertrain option in the near future. The tipping point, I think, is there in the luxury end. Uh, But where the tipping point we're kind of waiting for for everybody else is with the mainline vehicles. And the only way I can really kind of comment on that, at least here in the culture segment, is I continue to watch the price of EVs uh, and plug-in hybrid vehicles in the used car market. Uh, I believe I've talked here before about how a used Chevrolet Volt uh, traded in off lease with, you know, thirty or 40,000 miles on them. You know, you're looking at somewhere between ten dollars and $12,000 in many cases across uh, the Midwest here. Um, and that goes for many of the other EVs and other compliance vehicles that were made by uh, these various companies over the past few years. And I have very often recommended that looking into a used EV uh, or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle is a really great option if you're searching for a very good, very reliable, fuel-efficient used car. Well, in the past couple of months, as fuel prices have really slowly crept up, and I don't feel like a lot of people have been 
focusing on it the way they did a decade ago. Uh, granted, gas kind of exploded from the mid-high $2 range to as much as $5 in some part of the country. Here in Michigan, it's been hovering around $3.50 for most of the summer, and people didn't really bat an eye at it, and myself included. I didn't really think about it. Uh, but in the terms of the used plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, I've seen a lot of growth in prices on the used market over these past few months, and I'm wondering if that's partially a reaction to what's been going on. Uh, as the market demand, of course, increases for more fuel-efficient vehicles, and we hear that the world is ending very soon, perhaps people are making better decisions. Uh, the last look I had at used Chevrolet Volts was just a few days ago, and cars returned off lease uh, with 20 to 40,000 miles uh, that are the later of the first-gen models, which I believe the last of those were made in 2015. So we'd be right at the end of those uh, lease terms right now. Uh, you're looking at about thirteen dollars to $15,000. We've had a three dollars to $5,000 price increase on those vehicles. Older first-generation models from 2013 and 2014, which are generally considered to be the sweet spot models where they're still relatively cheap, but they have many of the upgrades that the later cars had uh, that add added mileage, cold weather performance, things like that. You're looking at twelve dollars to $15,000, which they're holding their values really well. And even the very early cars, the 2011 and 2012 models, which, like I said, had a little bit worse range, had a little bit worse cold weather performance, uh, those things now have jumped back up from the $10,000 range to about $12,000 range. So it's they're, they're holding their value in a weird way or growing in a weird way that I did not really expect. And I think that's really going to be something that we start to see for a lot of other uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. I'm seeing a lot fewer of the Ford Fusion Energies for pennies on the dollar. I'm seeing a lot fewer of the Ford Focus Electrics for pennies on the dollar. Even the Nissan Leaf, which I've seen as low as seven or $8,000 used, are now regularly staying above $10,000. And that's exciting news. As much as I kick myself for not buying a Chevrolet Volt just a year or two ago for that $10,000 price with only 20 some odd thousand miles on it, uh, I'm glad that people are making these decisions and the market is reacting in a way and the prices are going up. It sucks for me as somebody who wants to buy a Chevrolet Volt right now, uh, but hopefully for Mother Earth or the planet or whatever you want to call it, that is good news. So if, uh, I'd be curious to hear about... Uh, what kind of price ranges you're seeing on these cars near you. It's definitely worth a look if you're curious. Uh, and as uh, Teslas continue to sell in mass, you know, I think we're going to start to see a lot of people who are trading their Model S's for Model 3's in some cases. Uh, we might see a little bit of a collapse in Tesla resale value for a short time as people make a rush on the new models. So keep an eye out for that too. We might see an affordable Model S near you very, very soon. So good forward progress despite the bad news. So I just want to talk really quick, less about a car that's on my mind, but a couple of cars at a time frame that have kind of stuck out to me. I was looking at a neighbor's Hyundai Accent uh, that was parked next to me earlier this morning, and it was a, it's a late aughts, Hyundai Accent. I don't know the exact year of the vehicle, but I was thinking about how generic its styling was, both on the exterior and interior, and yet how timeless that has almost made the vehicle to some extent. 
Um, this was, of course, a time frame for Hyundai and Kia where they were racing to meet Honda and Toyota in terms of engineering, build quality, refinement, so many other things uh, that these cars were being updated every three or four years uh, to brand new models and platforms and so many other things. And these cars all got quickly swept under the rug as progress continued to move forward. And, you know, at least in specifics of this vehicle, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. Uh, it's perhaps a little boring, a little bland. Uh, it looks like everything else on the road. If it were in Grand Theft Auto, it would be car option one. Uh, it's just a car. But at the same time, it's really kind of cool. Uh, the guy who owns it has been keeping really good care of it. Like, the interior is immaculate. Uh, the exterior is without blemishes. It is incredible to see that. And there's another guy who lives just around the corner from me who has a Kia Optima of a slightly older time frame of the early aughts. Same kind of thing. Mint condition, taken care of in a way that is unprecedented for a car that would be worth maybe a couple hundred dollars these days. Uh, just spotless. And I'm kind of thinking, in terms of these cars, these Hyundais and Kias, uh, and really, maybe we should get some of those Daewoo's in this group, too. Uh, I really hope that we have something like Radwood that's going on right now. A, a car, a traveling car show that goes all across the country. Uh, and they they honor the vehicles of the mid-80s uh, into the early 90s. Uh, I hope that we have something like this for the late aughts into the early 20-teens. Uh, we saw such an explosion in growth for these brands. And it is striking to see the difference between these cars from today to 10 years ago, to 20 years ago, to 30 years ago, when they first started to show up on the American market. Uh, it is incredible. So I hope that these weird later versions of these cars get preserved and continue to be preserved by people because uh, they hold kind of a weird, special place in my heart. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eslake, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, and you can follow back on previous episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. This episode and many other episodes are also made for available for free on the Apple iTunes Podcast Store, uh, Google Play Podcast pocket cast so many others so if you like it uh, make sure you subscribe uh, you give it a rating if they let you do that and you share it with your friends and family that is much appreciated uh, instead of some sad news uh, i'll just kind of make this a little more uplifting uh, it is important that if you are not registered to vote uh, the voting deadlines are at least for registration are coming up very soon in many other states i know here in michigan we've just gone past it i believe some states down south have just been passed. Uh, but if you still have time, make sure you are registered to vote at vote.org. Uh, that is V-O-T-E dot O-R-G. Uh, it takes 90 seconds to do so. It's super easy. Um, worst case scenario, you got to go down to your local Secretary of State's office and sign a little piece of paper. It is painless. There's no reason not to do it. Do it. And then make sure that you are voting on November 6th, 2018 in your elections at your local election places. Uh, 
once again, super painless. You might not have to wait that long. Uh, it's pretty easy to do, and it's very important that you do so. Um, also very important that you do this time of year as we're moving into fall, make sure you are checking your tire temperature or tire pressure uh, frequently. Uh, temperature changes outside do affect your vehicle. So uh, colder temperatures like we have right now will deflate your tires. So make sure you get out there and check it. I know here in Michigan, we have a frost advisory tonight. That is a scary thought. Uh, when it means winter is coming very, very quickly. So with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I hope you go do some cool stuff with your car before it gets too snowy and icky. Uh, and until then, guys, we will see you next time on the Salvage Title Podcast.